0: That early stage, we were like, hang on, we had no idea what we are doing, but these people are still getting success. And so, um, maybe there's something to it and we should spend more time doing it. So, um, looking back at it now, we have supported over 900 people for me. I think, as I mentioned, one of the major challenges was this issue of underemployment that I was personally facing mm-hmm. after studying and doing a few degrees and one of the challenges we've seen people face after they finish Catalyzer or programs like us is, you know, many entrepreneurs fall down because they don't have access to capital. And so if you can put, you know, the cost of launching a satellite or accessing space is a lot lower, but the accessibility hasn't been the same. Uh, and so. How do we make sure that the benefits that space provides uh, can actually be shared amongst
1: everyone? Welcome, Usman, to the Startup Journeys podcast.
0: Thank you very much for having me.
1: It's a a great pleasure to have you on the uh, podcast today. So let's get straight into it. To kick things off, We'd like to hear a little bit about your background and what challenges did you face along the way and how did you overcome them?
0: Yeah, So um, my background is a bit of a complex one, as I think many of us do in in the Mm -hmm. startup world. We come from many different backgrounds. Um, So for me, I'm originally from Pakistan. I came here to Australia about 10 years ago, 2013, 2014. Um, initially as an engineer from Pakistan, so had a mechanical engineering background, then studied here, did a master's in engineering management, um, from Wollongong uni. And then uh, after studying, I decided to stay here in Australia. Um, now, like many other people who are, you know, migrants uh, who come to this country, Mm. um, I was, you know, kind of looking forward to the opportunities that Australia provides, um. Mm but quite quickly realized, um, that, you know, this was something that was quite hard, um, you know, to be able to get into work here. So I was doing a lot of casual work. So Seven Eleven, BP, the kind of, you know, casual jobs that many other migrants and refugees are doing. Um, and for me, that was something that I didn't want to do long-term. Um, so I decided that I would, um, you know, apply for loads of jobs, wasn't really getting anywhere. So I decided that I'll start my own business. Um, initially, you know, went on this journey of trying to start a few different types of startups. None of them really worked. Um, had an initial idea in the clean tech industry because of my yeah. engineering background that didn't yeah. work. Um, but went into a, uh, a social enterprise education program run by a school for social entrepreneurs. This was back in 2015. Um, and just learned about how startups work, what is a social enterprise? you know, and, and how you can actually solve a problem using, um, you know, sort of methodology. And so for me, this was this problem of unemployment, particularly underemployment, that many immigrants Mm -hmm. and refugees in Australia face, um, Mm -hmm. and decided that I wanted to do something about it. So for me, I was trying to start a business and was struggling and finding it hard. And I was thinking, hang on, there are other people like me who are in this situation. Um, so it'd be great if we could, you know, all work together. Um, yeah. So that was the kind of, I guess, genesis of Catalyzer where we started with the pilot program um, back in Parramatta in 2016. Um, it was just, you know, kind of cobbled together a program. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea what we were doing. Yeah. Um, I had a co-founder um, who I was working with at the time um, to be able to work out um, how, you know, we can support other migrants, refugees to start their own mm-hmm. business. Um, so we ran a, a 2 months program to begin with as our pilot in 2016. And then through that pilot, essentially, um, the first 10 people that we took through, um, three of them started their own business. Um, that gave me and my co-founder a lot of confidence that um, what we're doing, you know, there's something that's in it. That's a pretty good
1: because... rate, actually, in the startup world, yeah. three out of 10. Absolutely. She's the one out of 19, I think.
0: Absolutely right. Yeah. And that's the thing yeah. where... It's like even at that early stage, we were like, hang on, we had no idea what we were doing, but these people are still getting success. And so yeah. um, maybe there's something to it and we should spend more time doing it. So yeah. um, looking back at it now, we have supported over 900 people in the last few so years. Wow, yeah, that's and fantastic. It's been an absolutely incredible yeah. journey yeah. Um, to be able to work on catalyzer, and support people. But I can't really, as I said, pay credit for, on, for my own. There's so many people that have been involved in the journey who have helped us um, along the way. Um, so, yes, that's been kind of my story, but there's been just so much more that's happened yeah. along the way. Yeah, I mean, it, Very happy it, to chat about any of that stuff.
1: Yeah, it is, it is really all about community, isn't it? It's not until I, particularly, I moved into the Macquarie Uni um, incubator there and, uh, you know, started talking with other founders and they had programs there that really helped me a lot. I mean, I also had no idea what I was doing <laughs> at the beginning. Some people say I still don't, but even your motivation is similar to mine. It's like helping those people that were there as well, like don't know what they're doing and need that help and need to hear other people's stories. So, yeah, I really commend the work that you're doing. And um, I look, startup life is is so difficult as it is, but how much more difficult is it for a migrant or, or, or refugee? I, I can imagine it would be significantly different. And, you know, tell us a bit more also about, how you feel coming here and having all those aspirations and degrees and then working at 7-Eleven. And because unfortunately it's a really common story.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, as you mentioned, startup life is quite hard. Um, and starting a business generally is hard. Um, but yeah, when you're a migrant or refugee, it just becomes, you know, doubly, triply hard. Um, Mm -hmm. and the key reason is that uh, fundamentally, if you want to start a business, The thing that you're really relying on are networks. So you want to get your first Mm. customers. You need Mm. networks. You want to know people, you know, um, who can kind of introduce you to others, you know, so you can get access to your target market in the early days, people who can believe in you. Um, in terms of investors and sort of friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you need to have people that you can hire to work with you for free, <laughs> you know, so all mm-hmm. those kind of very, very early yeah. people um, yeah. that you need access to, a lot of that comes from networks a community. Unfortunately, you know, when you're a migrant to a new country, you don't know people, right? So, um, and particularly mm-hmm. in a professional context, you don't know anyone. So that's something that's really, really hard. And that those yeah. kind of same barriers that exist for, you know, if you want to get a job here in Australia as well, uh, and not just Australia, Anywhere in the world, really, right? Whenever yeah. you move to a different country, it's just hard. Um, so that's one of the biggest barriers: the access to a network. Then, obviously, for some people, yeah, more than others, there's language, which can be a barrier. Yeah. Um, there's issues with kind of understanding the culture, how business is done here. Yeah. Um, you know, how to access information, what to trust, what not to trust. Because in some countries, you know, if you want to just start a business, like I can talk about in Pakistan, um, you know, you just start a business, you literally build a product. Start selling it, and then you start working out. Okay, what do we need to do on top of that? Yeah. In Australia, there's you know like lots of regulations they need to be all really aware Absolutely. of, um, right. because you don't want to you know uh, mess up. And so it can be really scary for people. Um, so yeah, so the I guess the the challenges can can really be significant. Uh, for me personally. And, and to your question around that aspirations and dreams, look, I, from a, from a very young age, I really wanted to be, um, doing something in, in like kind of supporting people and then helping mm-hmm. people. So my parents were both doctors. Um, they wanted me to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I end up becoming a doctor, but <laughs> I feel like that, that kind of idea of, you know, wanting to provide service or support people was something that was kind of instilled in me from a very young age. Yeah. Um, and. Um, just coming here to Australia and kind of studying here, I wanted to do something in that space, but I didn't really have an exact idea of what, which is why, you know, as I mentioned that I wanted to go into clean tech, uh, because you know, for all the kind of work that we could do in sort of solving climate change, um, mm. but the, I guess, um, you know, as I got into social enterprise, I realized this is a huge space in the sector that I could get involved in. And so yeah, working in seven 11 working in BP wasn't fun. Mm. But I think when I kind of reflect back on it, I think it was a necessary part for me Mm. to be able to get integrated to Australian culture. Um, So, you know, uh, speaking to lots of people, um, you get to understand how people think. Um, You know, when you're working in a a service station, um, you get get to meet kind of different types of people all day, every day. Uh, But then also, I think this is just one of those things where. If I was, if I got a, a good decent job in the beginning, I probably wouldn't have the same kind of motivation to wanting to start a startup or wanting to go on this journey of social enterprise. Um, just because, um, you know, why would you take the hard path if you've got something that's easier and then you've got a decent job. And so for me, I think it was more of a necessity at that in the beginning. Um, now I think it's more of a choice because. Like I can see the impact that we're able to create um, and that's something that kind of keeps me going and then some
1: yeah. kind of reason why And, and I think a lot of people that uh, are in the space that are trying to do something good in the social enterprise sort of space, you know, there's, so, there's something in their life that, that they've gone through that's motivated them to, to, to be like that, you know? Um, and I think, you know, people might think, oh, you know, working at Seven Eleven or whatever, those sort of jobs you can learn a lot. I mean, I drove taxis for 10 years in the <laughs> 90s. And I'll tell you what, it's not, not an easy job. You, you have to be, um, you know, like a psychologist or counselor with a whole lot of people, you know, dealing with different people in different ways, sometimes in like difficult or even dangerous situations. And uh, also at the same time thinking like a big map in your head, oh, if I go here at this time, where are we going to get a fair? And you know, try trying to make some money. You know, people underestimate this sort of stuff and you learn really good skills actually. And then it can motivate you to do other things as well in your life. So no, I totally agree with that. Now, um, in this podcast, we talk a lot about, uh, we, we look, we don't talk a lot about success stories. It's great to hear them, but you know, only one in 19 succeed and what you're doing with catalyzer is fantastic. Cause that really accelerates, um, the, it's a success rate, I guess, uh, of that. And, but the whole, thing around success. What is success? A lot of people, you know, you, you may have a startup, like people always think about unicorns, you you know, you make the billion dollars and then, okay, so you've made the billion dollars, you become a unicorn, but how do you feel about that? And, you know, so I think for me, that's why I'm really interested in the social enterprise space, because if you're doing something good, then there's a different feeling around it rather than just trying to become a unicorn. Um, as such, that's why I'm really interested in, in your story as well. And so tell us about um, maybe in the startup world or somewhere in your life where you've come up against a huge problem uh, and and how you felt at that time, how it affected you, and how how you overcame it.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree with you on, on the kind of comment that you made about success as well, mm-hmm. where it's, you know, like, There's different ways of measuring success, and and obviously, you know, kind of could be from a dollar perspective, as you mentioned, or from an impact perspective. Um, For me, I think, as I mentioned, one of the major challenges was this issue of underemployment that I was personally facing Mm -hmm. after studying Mm -hmm. and doing a few degrees in Australia. Uh, But then also not just that, I think um, even running Catalyzer, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as a social enterprise, um, and this was, you know, we got started back in 2016, found it. Quite challenging to get it up and going, and particularly get the funding for it, mm-hmm. um, because you know there's no kind of legal model or structure for a social enterprise here in Australia. So you, know, you would have, on the one end, um, you know, like the kind of for-profit PTY structures, and the other hand, not-for-profit structures. To be set, initially set up as a for-profit, quite quickly realizing, hang on, you know, that might not work because we might rely on a lot of grants, mm-hmm. so then moved over to a not-for-profit structure and then, you know, kind of seeking grants and going through the whole process as, you know, can be quite challenging. Yes. Um, yeah. So there have been times in our journey where we were basically like, you know, we mm-hmm. have no money, we have no grants, what do mm-hmm. we do now? Um, and I think, at that point you've got the choice to make and, and many kind of founders face this issue, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, cash flow can become a real, real challenge. Mm-hmm. We had the same situation during COVID, um, where, you know, it was I guess less cash flow, more kind of because all of our programmers stuff that we were doing was in person, um, in kind of Sydney and Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, everything, you know, like with lockdown everything kind of went up in the air. Um, so we had to kind of really quickly change and adapt and then move everything online. Mm-hmm. Um, and which I guess it wasn't just us There's many organizations did it globally. Uh, but I think it's, for, our, for me, like we've faced many challenges, um, both for me personally, but also to Catalyzer. But it's always been kind of, you know, having the attitude that, you know, every challenge presents an opportunity and you can kind of think about it from two sides of the coin um, yeah. and really looking at, you know, okay, well, this is a challenge that I'm facing right now. Well, what can I do about it? Um, and as an engineer, I try to kind of uh, solve problems. Um, so that's the kind of mindset that I go at it with. Um, and obviously, you can't solve every problem, but um, issues such as cash flow, issues such as, you know, kind of like working out a new business model or things like that, I think is always. If you're persistent if you're creative if you've got the right people in community around you especially mentors um, that can make a huge difference so for me having the right kind of mentors uh, made a huge huge difference Um, and I went through many different programs myself just to be able to educate myself to learn about startup world um, to connect with different people because I was facing the same issues of not having access to a network that the people that I'm trying to work with Mm -hmm. or support Mm -hmm. do. And so it was like, you know, uh, kind of trying to build a ship as you're flying it. Um, and so really, I guess, you know, those are some of the challenges that that we face, but also like some of the ways we've kind of tackled it.
1: Yeah. And and who were some of those uh, mentors that really um, helped you in those early, early stages?
0: Oh, look, there's just so many, so many amazing mentors. It's, it's hard mm-hmm. to kind of name names <laughs> because oh, there's too many. Yeah. But what I would say, like, you know, one of those is my co-founder, Jake Muller, um, who, you know, I started Catalyze with. So he um, he was an accountant, uh, or is an accountant, actually, um, and he was quite disillusioned by kind of the world of big accounting. So oh, really? he did his degree here um, in Australia and then kind of worked for one of the big four firms, um, decided he didn't really like it. Um, So actually did the other thing. So he went over to Bangladesh to work with Muhammad Yunus and Grameen, um, understand about microfinance and things like that. And he was back from that journey back to Australia and then we yeah. kind of worked together to set up Catalyzer. So, because of his kind of financial background, I learned a lot from him around finances and how to kind of manage business. Um, and then Alan, who I know you've met as well, Alan Jones,
1: no. um,
0: who's an incredible mentor and supporter of Catalyzer. And for me personally, um, and so that's another one that, you know, like he's helped us a lot and helped me personally a lot into kind of thinking about, you know, how do you, not just start a startup, but how do you help people? How do you support people? Um, how do you build a curriculum? Um, we've had many amazing entrepreneurs and residents that have come in over the, the years uh, and just, yeah, like there's a very long list of mentors and people that have supported us. Yeah. It's hard to kind of yeah. mention one or the other. Uh, but I think, yeah, like if I have to think of like top one or two, that would be, um, you okay. know, Jack and Alan who've really supported us for the last seven, you know, years. You know,
1: yeah, on some of the other podcasts, um, there's been a bit of a discussion around, I think it was Ben Jeffries from A-Tech Global who was saying that, for him, and he's run an incubator, I think, and um, he's saying that, uh, you know, all the programs are wonderful and, you know, it's all helpful and you need that education. But he said, the best thing uh, is actually just to get in a room with a whole bunch of other founders. And, and I agree with that too. Like, even now, I go back to the incubator and meet up with a couple of the guys, you know, founders that are still in the space. And uh, I found, and, and I've also um, interviewed another lady called Liz Swagart and she was um, she was uh what was that word she was saying um uh some something like there's some i forget the the, the word now but like mentor whiplash or something like that look there's great uh, mentors out there and i know ellen was fantastic i had him on my own podcast as well um and i think you've got to choose the right ones but when you first begin if you have a lot of mentors one will say one thing, one will say the other, it can get quite confusing. I mean, did you find that as well? Or how did you like get to the, the ones that you realised? was it something like uh, this, this one feels right for me or it just made sense to you? I mean, how did you come up with the, or did you have a lot of mentors and, and get a bit confused like me or, or that, that wasn't your journey?
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's something that like both I face, but I've seen other kind of founders face, particularly Mm -hmm. in the early days when you're kind of setting up your first organization Mm -hmm. um, and you're just getting started that, you know, there are a lot of people that will give you advice um, or will give you kind of suggestions. And I think um, initially, oh, I had no idea of how to actually go about it or filter it and know, you know, what advice to follow, what works, Mm -hmm. what doesn't work. I think there's a few things in there. One is that over time that I've learned, um. How to filter advice based on someone's background. Um, so, if someone's say got a financial background and giving me advice on finances, mm. or a legal background, or or you know whatever some specific yeah. kind of technical background. Um, It's better to kind of learn from them um, versus, you know, uh, you know, someone who's just like, you know, for example, a marketer, but then talking about finance and might not have anything to do with it. Um, And, you know, their opinion is as good as mine sometimes. And so I think it's important to kind of know where they're coming from. Um, Second thing is like if someone's giving you advice or, or guidance, I think it's also knowing um, whether what they're telling you is from their own experience or some facts or whether that's like an, an opinion that they hold of a view of the world or, or a map of the world. And I think it's really important to distinguish. And in the early days, when you're just starting a startup, it's a big power dynamic that, you know, you're a founder, this other mentor is giving you so much time and and, and you know, is like this amazing person. And so it's really hard for you to kind of, actually challenge them. But I, I think over time you kind of learn to do that as well and have this really healthy debate and discussion and understand where they're coming from and why, um, so that you can kind of, you know, understand, you know, what is the kind of, I guess, underlying logic or the reason behind the feedback or the kind of, I guess, um, advice that they're giving you or support they're providing you. Yeah. Um, and then you can decide what to kind of pick and choose and apply, right? Because at the end of the day, it's your startup, it's your company. Uh, you're the one who have to live with the consequences. Um, but also you are the one that's closest to the business. And so you Mm. understand lots of different kind of, I guess, um, factors that, that are affecting the organization. And so to be able to, I guess, get advice is really important, but then what to act on and in what way, I think that's a muscle that it's, it's kind of like, you know, exercising it and building it over time. Um, it's, it's hard. Um, I don't think it's easy and I definitely, I, I really like the word the mental whiplash Mm -hmm. uh, because in the early days, I definitely felt that like too many different opinions, too many different ideas. Quite hard to know how to navigate them. But I think over time, um, I've kind of developed a mental model or at least a matrix in my head of this person really good at this. So if I need advice on this topic, I'll go to this person, I'll go to that person because I know they might have had some similar experiences and then kind of try to extract or get that information. Um, But also knowing that like mentoring is not a one way street. So oftentimes you might think that you are like kind of getting help from a mentor. Uh, but you're also providing support to a mentor as well, because many people who do provide mentoring are doing it um, because they want to feel good about themselves. They want to kind mm-hmm. of support others. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those things where like, if you think about, you know, you're also kind of, you know, supporting them achieve an objective, it, it kind of reduces slightly the that power imbalance and makes you a bit more confident when you kind of try and question and, and, and debate on some of these topics. But yeah, it's hard. It's not easy, but I feel like over time you can develop it as a muscle.
1: Yeah, and I think that's really good advice, actually, for um, early stage startup founders. Um, yeah, because it is uh, always a bit of a difficult um, place to be. Uh, but you know, there are some really great mentors out there, um, as you said. And there's there's been probably with me three, four, or five that have really been great for me as well. Um, now uh, you have a, a small title being named 2018 Commonwealth Young Person of the Year. From a small group of 1.4 billion young people (laughs) how did this amazing title come about and how did it influence your work and and your journey
0: yeah i know it's it's one of those things where you know like some of these things are very serendipitous and not anything you can plan for so Mm -hmm. um i was a part of another program run by this amazing organization called fya the foundation for young australians um, and they took at the time, this is back in 2016, 60 people who they called young social pioneers that they would help them support them in their programming, get them started in their social enterprise journey. So as part of their program um, and through that, Um, They basically nominated me um, as one of the people, you know, on on this list where, you know, I guess many different organizations nominated people around the world. Um, I had no idea what it meant at the beginning. Um, And then I just basically got, I guess, uh, into the finals. Um, I also didn't know that I actually won that award until, like, you know, we we got flown to the UK um, and was kind of standing on stage. And I was like, hang on, did I really get that award? Because that was a huge deal. Um, But I think for me personally... Um, a, it was a validation of what we we're trying to do um, mm-hmm. and, and how, you know, like this problem that we're trying to solve is not just an Australian problem, it's a global problem of supporting yeah. refugees and migrants into getting to work and into employment and, and business. But then, secondly, it was also, I guess, um, something that I utilized really to then get open some doors for me personally and. Obviously for Catalyzer. Mm. so I think it it had a huge impact in that way. That, for example, some of the funders that we were speaking to, who you know who were supporting us in the beginning, but then you know were a bit skeptical of whether what we're doing was going to work. You know, when they saw that we're getting some recognition, kind of you know became a lot more, Mm. I guess, um, you know, I guess confident about supporting us, um, yeah. or some of the kind of other people, um, that, that, you know, wanted to cover us as well. So I think it's one of those things where, you know, it took us, um, and for me personally to get that award overseas, to then get more recognition here in Australia as well for the work we're doing. Um, yeah. so that was really great. Um, and, and really opened up a bunch of doors. Um, yeah, but I, I still think it, it was like one of those lucky things where, you know, like you just have to be the right person at the right time mm-hmm. kind of thing. And and I, I again, like I'm, I know there's like so many amazing, deserving people around the world, who probably would have got it in, um, in this year and that year, and that's an annual thing, so every year they give it to someone new. Um, so yes, I still don't believe it <laughs> that I got that. Uh, I know, and, and it's kind of like when you look at it from the outside, and you might see someone getting an award or something, and you might be like, okay, you know, they got it, and that's great, but uh, when you're the person living it. It's a very surreal moment, a very surreal feeling, um, and yeah, I definitely don't think that I did anything special to deserve it. Uh, but I felt like that was a really good validation for the work we're doing, and, and really yeah. helped us kind
1: of um,
0: have the impact that we've had mm-hmm. so far because of that that push. That that really, it was like a rocket booster that helped us kind of get in that journey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And let's say um, if 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 I was a, a migrant or refugee at the moment, and I wanted to um, have my own business I'm struggling I've, I've started something but like you said I haven't got the network haven't got the funding what what advice would you give them
0: yeah so um I mean it depends on what kind of business you're trying to start but mm-hmm. um for for someone who for example who wants to start it is new to Australia wants to start their own business you know obviously you can come to Catalyzer we run different types of programs and we can help you um kind of both learn about how to start a startup, but then also practically implemented through our accelerator program. Um, but then also just, I guess, um, if you don't have a network, build one. Um, so, you know, uh, I think is one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, there's still lots of opportunities that exist and there's and there are ways in which you can kind of access them. Um, and people generally in the startup ecosystem are quite friendly um, and quite open to connecting with new people. Um, there are, you know, you can get a startup job. You can, you know, do some fellowships, for example, mm-hmm. that I know StartMed has and other organizations have as well. Um, you can get involved by going to different networking events and kind of drinks and, and things yeah. like that. You can go to conferences um, as well. As, you know, so for example, you know, Sunrise, it's a, a big one that we know that BlackBird does. Um, so there's all these kind of things that already exist that are out there in the, in the ecosystem. Um, for me, I know that um, I've told many people to go to fish banners Pitch night, that is kind of every Friday in Sydney. If you're in okay. Sydney, if you're in Melbourne, you can be part of Startup Network. So there's yep. just a lot of stuff that's out there. I think it's just, I mean, a depending on where you are, kind of looking at where are those local communities that you can be a part of, yep. um, and and joining meetups, joining events and things like that is a really good way. Um, mm-hmm. And one of my mentors actually gave me this really great advice in, in the very early days of our business was um, if you want to learn about something new or if you want to get involved, um, you can either learn about it from a book or from an individual or a person. And yeah. so uh, many of this stuff can't be learned from a book, which is kind of, you know, actually getting a network. So you True. just need to speak to people. So getting out there, uh, making a bit of an effort um, is, is, is the right way to go and finding what's available. And then if, nothing, if everything else fails, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very happy to help and support anyone who's new to the country.
1: Okay, and we'll leave all those details in the show notes, plus Catalyzer as well. So if they wanted to apply to Catalyzer, what sort of um, entry is there? What what do they need to do? What stage they need to be at for that?
0: Yeah, so we have two sets of programs that we run. We've got a fellowship program and an Accelerate program. Um, So for fellowship, it is really early stage. So you, it's an idea stage. Basically you can have mm-hmm. an idea of what you want to do, um, or you just, you want to just learn about how to start okay. a business. Um, so you can go to our website. It's catalyzer, C A T A L Y S R.com.au. Yep. Um, check out the fellowship Apply. We do two to three cohorts every year, think about 40 to 50 people um, per cohort. Um, so, you know, that's an opportunity for you to get involved. Um, it's a kind of eight week program where you learn about, you know, how to start a business, you know, lean startup methodology, marketing, you know, finance, legal, all the fun stuff. But then I think the biggest thing is really the community where you get to meet other alumni, you get to meet with different mentors, you get to meet with other founders um, and really kind of, you know, discuss your ideas and figure out how you can kind of progress uh, and and actually achieve some of those goals. Um, And you don't know what will come out of some of those conversations and those kind of, I guess, meetings. Um, And then um, for those who already have an MVP or a prototype and now are looking to kind of actually get out of the market. Start selling, build a team, grow their business. That's where accelerate program comes in. So accelerate is a bit further along the journey. And, and that's where the, you know, they can apply there. Our accelerator program normally is at kind of like the end of the year. Um, So the fellowships are, you know, first kind of, I guess, six to eight months of the year. And then about September onwards is where we do our accelerator program. So we just finished off one of the ones from last year, and you can also go and see some pitch videos online, just to see what kind of startups that we've been working with, but it's been, it's very diverse kind of community. So. We've had people from 87 different countries, Uh, 46% of them have been women entrepreneurs. Um, So, you know, uh, doesn't matter what your background is or from like a country or, you know, what idea you're working on, you're very welcome at Catalyzer. Um, And if we can't help you, you should still apply it because we can also tell you where to go so we also provide i guess that navigation support of um you know this is what the startup ecosystem looks like these are all the organizations that are out there these are all the vc funds etc and so you should go and go speak to this person and go do this um so i think at the very least you be able to kind of get to know what that roadmap for you might look like
1: well that's amazing that's everything that you really need at the beginning and, and i think that fellowship program is is a really exciting program because a lot of, you know, the the idea stage is still important. And even, you know, to develop your idea further, or even to, you know, see if that idea is actually viable or not. Um, And even to understand, you know, what it is to run a startup, and what you need to go through, some people might say, well, you know what, actually, it's a a bit bit more than I thought, or others will say, yeah, no, I, I can do this journey. And you can get validation on your idea as well. I think there needs to be more support in in that area not just always looking for those unicorns you know unfortunately that's that's quite a bit of a the mindset in the space at the moment so i think that's brilliant work that you're doing And anybody out there that's a migrant or refugee with an idea go go to catalyzer and either you know you might be part of the the fellowship or um accelerator or you you guys you can you can guide them where to go i think that's that's brilliant there's so much needed in the space so I really commend you on the work that you're, you're doing. You're listening to Startup Journeys, Founders Unplugged with Paul King. Okay, so um, now to change topic a bit. <laughs> you attended the International Space University, which I never knew there was one, and uh, Head of Growth in Space Base, New Zealand. So how did you first become interested and involved in space and what is space bases mission?
0: Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I'd say, um, for me, so, I mean, I've, I've, always been very curious and as I mentioned, I'm an engineer by training, so I wanted to do something more technical something that's, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, that's kind of using my brain in that sort of technical way. Um, so, and with catalyzer, obviously setting up a social enterprise was great, but then that was kind of the starting point. And, um, it's funny when, you know, when you kind of introduce yourself as look, I'm someone who's looking for a job, get a very different response from, um, I'm someone who's already running a, an organization and now, you know, how can I support or add value to your mm-hmm. organization and, and that change in mindset and then also changing experience helps you kind of have more opportunities. Um, so for me, I found that as well, um, I actually went to another program prior to this, which is run by an organization called Singularity University in the US. Um, So I got selected on a scholarship to go to the US um, and actually live at the NASA Ames Research Park in in California uh, for three months and just learn about, um, and again, the the kind of premise was um, there's 90 people from around the world that they will select. It was funded by Google at the time um, Mm -hmm. to look at understanding how you can use exponential technologies like AI and, um, you know, um, 3D printing and so on to really try and figure out how you can solve problems such as climate change. So the the focus was still social and environmental, okay, but yeah. using, I guess, technology. And mm-hmm. so um, there's some really interesting people that are a part of that cohort. Of, and and there I met a couple of mentors and people who were um, really doing a lot of work in the space mm-hmm. sector. Obviously it was based at NASA, so, you know, that, yeah. that helped. Um, and. Um Spaceways was actually just getting set up at the time. So um the two founders, Eric um Dalstrom and Emmeline Dalstrom, uh uh were both in the US and they were working with the US space industry, um, and they're working kind of different organizations. Eric was actually involved in the design of the International Space Station. Um, but what they said was that um and which I personally deeply resonated with was the space based mission of look, you know within the space industry, the costs have come down considerably in the last Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years. So, you know, the cost of launching a satellite or accessing space is a lot lower, but the accessibility hasn't been the same. Uh, And Mm so, how do we make sure that the benefits that space provides uh, can actually be shared amongst everyone. And so it's really about that idea of how do we democratize that access? It's kind of similar to what what I'm doing in in the sort of catalyzer world, Mm -hmm. supporting markets, refugees, get access to the startup ecosystem. It was kind of this idea that many other countries and people don't have access to space. And so how do we provide that access? Um, So they actually moved from the U S to New Zealand to set up that organization as a kind of like a, A prototype or or a pilot in New Zealand, and see if they can do something in New Zealand, and then based off of that, then grow it globally um, as this kind of organisation. And so they've been doing that for the last five years, um, quite successfully, where they run competitions, um, run different challenges, and where I've been involved is helping them figure out how they can grow that internationally, um, but then also help them with particularly something that I'm really proud of. Is A competition that they run, which is called Space for Planet Earth. So it is utilizing satellite data and space technologies to try and understand climate change and how you can monitor climate change, how you can solve it. So every year, there's like, for example, the last year there was a focus on understanding, you know, the marine degradation and kind of coastal reefs. Um, This year, there's a focus on methane emissions. um, And then they, you know, different teams from unis, from, um, schools, from startups participate, and then they can get a prize, mm-hmm. but not just prize, but also an incubator to help them build their idea and get funded and so on. Right. So there's a lot of similarities in terms of like what catalyzer is, versus yeah. what Space is doing, but just in a different sector. So I don't have the functional expertise to, to do the space thing. Um, but I'm, are definitely working with them to be able to help them with the kind of entrepreneurship side of things. Um, and with space based what, what I guess is a really fantastic thing is that when they run that competition last year the winning team was actually from Fiji um, which tells you that you know initially they didn't really have those kind of opportunities but uh, by able to get that opportunity of kind of trying to do something in space they were really able to kind of come up with a solution of how they can um, understand climate change and, and really monitor and come up with solutions locally within Fiji um, so that was really really exciting.
1: Yeah, because I mean, the Pacific Islands are some of them are under threat of going underwater with climate change, and like it, obviously, it's a huge issue right now all around the world. Um, and so, it's great to to see you working on it from that perspective, from you know space perspective, which is which is brilliant, really really exciting, and amazing work by the sound of it. Um, Yeah, amongst the many things that you do (laughs) and the many awards that you have as well. We only talked about one. I mean, you're also involved with the um, Obama Foundation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that, how that came about and and what you're doing with that?
0: Yeah, so um, again, as I said, a lot of this is serendipitous and, you know, you don't know (laughs) how some of these things happen. Uh, for, For me, or, you know, how we got started initially with Catalyzer last year through City of Parramatta, in Western Sydney, and one of the people from City of Parramatta actually um, went to, I think, a conference where they met with President Obama's sister, um, Mm. her name is Maya, she's lovely, she also does some work in climate change, Mm. Um, and she uh, was, like, talking about this program that the Obama Foundation, what was set up by President Obama was doing, which was to, I guess, get global leaders together to solve different global problems, like climate change, like, you know, um, democracy and so on. And so the... One of the things was um, that that he asked me to apply for that. Um, So I applied and and I got lucky and I got accepted. Um, So it was back in 2019 where I was selected one of the 200 leaders from Asia Pacific.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, We
0: actually went to Kuala Lumpur, got a bit of a training um, on how to kind of, you know, get involved and learn from each other. Um, But they've got this program for Europe, for, you know, the Americas and kind of Africa and so on uh, as well. Um, And so initially I was just... Learning and kind of connecting with each other. Um, Over the last year, I've been involved with them as a facilitator and and kind of leader for the community of practice where um, I'm helping put together essentially many social entrepreneurs that are across the Obama Foundation ecosystem um, globally and kind of working with them um, and helping them figure out how they can have a bigger impact by collaboration with each other. So, Mm. you know, oftentimes, you know, what I'm doing in Australia, someone might be doing in the UK or other countries. So, how do we kind of learn from each other? How do we work with each other? Um, how do we share that those learnings um, and collaborate? And so those are some of the things that I've been working on with them. Um, it's something that it's, it's a volunteer, uh, I guess, opportunity, but something that I'm, I'm really, really, um, I guess, deeply appreciative of because, yeah. you know, oftentimes when you work in Australia, you're kind of cut off from the kind of global scene um,
1: yeah.
0: because of, you know, like we tend to kind of look inwards, but I feel like with issues that we're working on, like climate change or migration, um, like we can share our learnings, but also learn from each other globally. And so to be able to have those opportunities be really fantastic.
1: Mm. That's, uh, yeah, it's an amazing project. Um, now, the startup space, as we've said, is really, really difficult. It can even be more difficult for uh, migrants and, and refugees particularly. Um, and it can really take a toll on our mental health. Um, so what are some strategies that you may have used to maintain your mental health in difficult times and, and uh, any other stories of people have gone through your um, uh, catalyser that have gone through issues and if they've come out of that as well? What what strategies or what have they done to to get through that?
0: Yeah, I think, I think this is such an important question because, um, yeah, absolutely. Mental health is one of those things that doesn't get talked about often mm-hmm. um, in, in the kind of startup world. But I think we definitely need to do a lot more focus on this uh, because, as you know, startup's quite hard. There's a lot of uncertainty, yeah. Um, yeah. both in terms of income, in terms of kind of where you're going, what's happening. And so, you know, that that can really take a toll on you and obviously the physical health as well as mental health. Um, I guess for me personally, um, I have, you know, a uh, had kind of ups and downs in terms of mental health. Um, so when I, and as well as physical health, so when I began my, my journey at, at Catalyzer, um, I was of this kind of mindset of, you know, like the hustle mindset when, which is kind of this online, <laughs> if you just watch YouTube shorts that I've not <laughs> a great place to kind of learn about how to start a startup. But basically this kind of idea. I'm going to work seven days a week, um, and so on, and I'll work harder mm-hmm. than everyone else. That was a really bad idea yes, because, so. um, that like, I just basically got burnt out in a couple of years. Um, that wasn't great. Um, and then I kind of took a step back and was like, hang on, I need to do something. And again, I had a great mentor, um, who helped me understand, look, you know, you can be effective and productive. You don't have to work kind of seven days a week. You've got to also take care of yourself, your family, friends, so on. Um, so I think even just carving out time, um, for me personally is something that that really helps in kind of just making sure that you know it's a bit more balanced um so i make sure that i take you know the weekend off now which i know it sounds surprising to some people because they're like of course you take a weekend off but you know in a kind of startup world that's not like a given that you will take time off um also take some holidays which is important um but then beyond that i think it's one of those things just like exercise it's a muscle that you build it's something that you can either deal with it reactively or proactively um, cool. and in the past I was quite reactive with it. Um, but then, and I think there's, this is something that not just with me, but many other migrant spaces where mental health can be this kind of taboo issue, um, that mm. doesn't get talked about. No one kind of yeah. you know, wants to touch it. Um, because they're like, oh, you know, like there's something wrong with you. You don't talk about it, you know, whatever. Mm. Um, But actually, I feel like it's really important to kind of, you know, talk about it and and kind of talk about it positively and what we can do and kind of strategies and coping mechanisms. Um, And particularly for me, one of the other organizations that supported us is Westpac Foundation. um, And they have had a fantastic EAP system. So I've kind of utilized that personally and really gotten out there and, and asked for that proactive support um, mm-hmm. to be able to work through, you know, what I'm going through, how to kind of plan, yeah. um, my time and, and not to kind of burn out and not to kind of face those mental health issues. Uh, the other, I guess, good thing that has happened and, and I've seen the catalyst community is we've had people who've kind of, because of that community, who have faced this complex issues, sometimes mental health, sometimes domestic violence, these kind of different things that have been working on, I guess, in the community, mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, uh, they've been able to kind of support each other to solve those issues. Uh, but then also where some people have come to us or we've seen them kind of dealing with mental health issues, we've also referred them on to the right people. So I think part of this is, from an outside perspective, you know you can see someone running an incubator, but internally, you know we like we look at ourselves as a triage nurse, right? So if you want to learn about how to go and do uh, set up a startup, how to get access to VC funding or impact investment or whatever, similarly, how do you get access to support for mental health? How do you get access to support for you know whatever it is? Um, because we're kind of dealing with that as founders ourselves, so we want to kind of share that with other people too. Um, and actually, one of our uh, alumni um, has set up an amazing organization just in the last couple of years called Made. Psychology, um, mm-hmm. which is actually a, a mental health kind of organisation specifically for people of colour um, from from South Asian backgrounds. So she's yep. from South Asian background herself, and and actually has a mental health kind of um, um, experience and background. So she's worked in that sector, and she set up that organisation as a psychologist and is helping others too. And so there's those kind of organisations that are, I guess, popping up now as well, which are fit for purpose, so people not just only understand um, the kind of mental health challenges that you face, but also yep. um, how you can Kind of address it in a culturally sensitive way, because again, um, you know, it's complicated when you kind of deal with different communities, different cultures, how they approach mental health, and, and how they want to
1: yeah. sort of solve it. Yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll leave that um, those links in the show notes. Um, yeah, no, that's that's really good advice, and it's really important. Um, there is that mentality out there with some uh, startup or incubators where you got to work 24 seven, seven days a week, and it just can't last, you'll, you'll just burn out. Uh, and your mental health, your physical health, that's something that's really important more than making some money. And it might take a little bit longer. In fact, it may not take a little bit longer because you'll be able to, if you're rested well, you're able to think better, make better decisions, and that'll probably save you so much more time than if you're all working like 14 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, it it um it, it just doesn't work um but uh, not long term anyway like you said you know when that happens you get burned out that's great that's great advice um all right well look um what is a question that you wish people ask you but nobody has
0: this is a tough one but i would say um Probably around the future. So like where Mm -hmm. where do I see the future and what's been happening in kind of different Mm -hmm. sectors and things that I've been involved Mm -hmm. in. So things like, I mean, I mentioned climate change or migration. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think like what's happening in the future? What are our plans for the future? I think that's some of the areas that that I would
1: love to talk about as well. Okay. So I'm asking that question now. (laughs)
0: Fair fair enough. Um, Look, I think from a a catalyser perspective, um we are uh, you know something that that you know we know, um, you know that i mean migration is only increasing not just because of kind of skill shortage and these kind of short-term things but also on the long-term scale when you look at climate change as an example or you look at what's been happening globally in terms of you know just unrest and and war, unfortunately that will lead to more migration. There's a lot of economic migration after COVID as well. Um, and so, um, I feel like we have a role to play in kind of sharing the narrative that, you know, migrants, refugees. Um, aren't just coming in and kind of just taking benefits from a particular country like Australia but actually are contributing to the economy yeah. um, and society so both solving social challenges but also adding to the economy and creating jobs um, and the best way to do that is kind of showcasing the stories of amazing migrant refugee entrepreneurs um, so part of our work will be doing that over the next sort of few months and years um, the other thing we'll also be looking at is how can we support migrants, refugees? Kind of understand more more of their problems in their own communities and trying to solve them as well. Um, just as we're kind of going towards 2030 and try to meet some of the sustainable development goals. And so that's something that I'm really excited about. Um, and then uh, the third one is really looking at growing and scaling up um, as an organization um, internationally and kind of trying to. I guess be able to kind of share this knowledge and and have impact internationally. Um, And then finally, something that I've done is in the last year or two, uh, working with another fantastic um, migrant entrepreneur himself, um, who's also an investor, to set up a new early stage fund uh, called Backbone Partners that will be investing in migrant entrepreneurs in Australia um, who are early stage, who might not have their kind of first believer or their first funder um, to help them get access to funding. Um, so then, you know, they can get started and then, um, you know, develop their idea and sort of grow further. Because yeah. one of the challenges we've seen people face after they finish finished Catalyzer or programs like us is, you know, many entrepreneurs fall down because they don't have access to capital. And so if you can provide that early capital, that can go a long way at that pretty so important, stage. So important.
1: That's, that's a huge, huge issue. Huge issue. And particularly like in the impact or social enterprise space, there's a huge gap. And I've talked with quite a few other guests about that as well. Now, um, this other project that you're doing and everything else that you're doing, and you were saying before that you do have weekends off. So I guess you must really manage your time really well. Like what are some tips there? Because you're doing so much, you're involved in so much, and you're still having some time off, it sounds like you're still maintaining your mental health, you still got time to come onto my podcast, which I really appreciate. Uh, So any any tips? So like, how do you manage that?
0: Yeah, I think um, one thing I'd say is don't try and do everything all at once. <laughs> That's a recipe <laughs> for disaster. So yeah. I like a lot of these projects might seem that they're concurrent, but they're not. So Catalyzer obviously started about, you know, seven, and eight years ago now, um, and they've set up as a team, like there's a process and, and organization behind it. Um, so I say that, that I'm doing it, but it's not me, it's many other people. Yeah. Um, and so it's it set up, it's a process, it's everything's already there. And mm-hmm. so, you know, like, it doesn't take as much of my time as it did, you know, in the first you know few years of the organization. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I was doing at that time. Um, since then, with some of the other projects that I've been involved in, many of them are not kind of full-time commitments. So this is like something. That I'm doing like half a day a week or a day a week type thing, no. but but it's it's I think um, like I know where. Uh, what are the areas where I'm actually kind of like Catalyzer still being the main thing, uh, spending most of my time. So again, it's the 80, 20 rule. Mm-hmm. So 80% of my time so three to four days a week is spent on Catalyzer and probably one day a week on other activities. Um, and uh, you know, and that's where um, I guess the difference is what I'll spend more time on advisory or spend more time on helping other organizations out and things out. But I think mm-hmm. really just time boxing that is, is a good idea because otherwise, yeah, like you can get carried away quite quickly. Um, no. And particularly as an entrepreneur and a social entrepreneur, this is something that I've seen and I've, I've faced this myself, which is um, there's a lot of things you can do, particularly volunteer doing, and it can suck a lot of your time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you've got to be really, really mindful of how you're spending your time. Again, it's it's one of those things where it just comes with practice. For me, in the beginning, I used to just time box um, specific activities. Um that didn't work as well as kind of specifically, I guess, deciding which days I'm doing what. And so now I, I've got, you know, like one or two or three days a week when I'm doing just catalyzed work and that's what it is. Um and then I'll have like a dedicated day for other stuff as well. Um so yeah, so it, it's kind of working out what works best for you, I guess. Uh but for me it's always about, you know, finding that balance, still trying to come with friends and family, kind of doing more kind of, you know, um, I guess uh, hobbies and, and fun stuff. Like I play a lot of video games. Uh I going to play cricket. I watch a lot of cricket. I love cricket. Yeah. <laughs> Coming from Pakistan, but also being <laughs> in Australia. Of course. Um, so, so I'm involved in, like, those kind of things too. Um, yeah. But I, I feel like it's a – yeah, it's one of those things is um, you – get to decide what kind of career, what kind of life you have. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes, you know, obviously there's a lot of expectations, but you don't have, you can kind of do it in a way that you want to, but don't try and set up everything all at once, um, like get something working first, then do the next thing and the next thing and so on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and as your startup grows, it's important to bring in good people, of course, and like, I guess you should focus on the stuff that you're really good at and that you like, like, you know, as it grows. And if you bring in really good people in those other areas, they can do stuff better than you because most of us startup founders where jack of all trades, master of none, so to speak. You know, we might master a few areas. Uh, yeah, so bringing in those people, you know, as, as you grow is, is really, really important as well. And that frees up more of your time and you need to be able to delegate and, and look after your team. And yeah, that's, that's what I found as well, I think. that I'm, yeah, I'm and making the think... on that with Catalyzer.
0: 100% and I think that's like that's something that I, I want to sort of share from the rooftops which is really find people better than you um, that that can do the job obviously in the very early days you might not be able to afford them but yeah. as soon as you can uh, if bring the people that know what they're doing or, or they, that are kind of specialists in their areas yeah. because yeah. you as a founder can get something started but it's not going to grow from there until you've got the right people in. And if we didn't have those hires and those people in our team who helped us systematize you know, operationalize a lot of the stuff they were doing, really work out the Kingston system and help us scale, we wouldn't be able to achieve the impact that we are doing. Um, I think many of us, including me uh, get in our own way by kind of thinking that we can do everything. We can't. Um, yeah. So it's good to have the right kind of people involved. Absolutely. hundred percent that, that that's great advice.
1: Yeah, at the beginning, you do have to do everything, but then yeah, slowly, you know. Look, uh, something else that I found really uh, problematic and difficult um, if you're not from a sales or marketing background, let's say you're an engineer, like yourself, an engineer, a developer, etc., cetera, uh, and you have your startup and you can, you know, you can develop really good stuff. You've got your MVP or whatever. Um, how important do you think marketing and sales are? And if you're like, uh, a migrant or refugee entrepreneur, uh, what would you, and, and you haven't got that background, what would you recommend these people do? Because I, when I interviewed Alan Jones, he said, he does, does T-shirts as a hobby, it's something like, if you're uh, a developer and a startup founder, the most important thing isn't your coding, it's marketing and sales, or the only thing <laughs> pretty much. And I found the same, like we had an amazing startup Terrible at marketing and sales, and that unfortunately, you know, meant that uh, we didn't go where we wanted to go. So, yeah, what what are your
0: thoughts on that? I think I think this is one of those areas where it's so crucially important Mm. that um, you know, um, and and a good way to kind of think about it, particularly if you're an engineer, is like we like to think in terms of frameworks or you know, kind of models. And so, I, I personally really like that that Lean Canvas or that Lean. Um, framework where you can look at something and you can think about, you know, a problem you're solving solution, whatever, but it's not about you. I think that's really important. We start with technology, uh, particularly if you're an engineer, uh, but it's not about you, it's not about what kind of cool gadget you can build. It's about, um, actually understanding who you're trying to solve a problem for as your customer, and then. Um, figuring out, you know, how you can solve their problem and then figuring out how you can reach them, what's the best way and so on. So I think there's a bit of a mindset to the madness. Um, And I feel like sales and marketing is something that can absolutely be learned um, and should be learned. And um, I think part of that also is storytelling. Alan is really, really great at storytelling. And I feel like that's an amazing skill that you need when you want to do sales and marketing because no one really likes just being pitched at or kind of um, sold where it's like, if you're telling a story, if you bring people on a journey, people are more likely to kind of join you. And so I feel like whether you want to build a great team, want to get funding, you know, want to sell your product or service, um, you need to be able to have those storytelling and those sales okay. and marketing skills. Uh, but it's one of those things that I mean, especially if you're not someone from that background, I highly recommend spending some time in and investing in. Um, and, and if that's something that you absolutely don't want to do, then definitely have someone in your team as a co-founder who is really good at that stuff, because without that, your business doesn't exist. It's one of those things where, you know, like you can build the most amazing product in the world, but if it just sits on the shelf, um, <laughs> there's no business exactly. so you've figure I would out also, how to get it out there.
1: I would also say. <laughs> salespeople are good at selling themselves. So they may sell themselves to you, but make sure you really get the, the really good ones that are not just talking the talk. You know, um, yeah, we had a bit of experience with that as well, unfortunately. Like we did bring one that was okay, and then we were going okay, and then COVID hit. And then after that, we bought another one. They're supposed to be like top guy and everything. And yeah, unfortunately, nothing much going on there, <laughs> I could say. Yeah. yeah.
0: And I think that's, that's a, that's a really good point where it's like, um, I mean, and this is why I'm saying it's a difference between like, in having someone as a team versus as a co-founder or a founder, uh, no. but specifically I would say for the founding team should be, and, and the founders should be doing the sales and marketing in the early days of the startup, because you need to understand where you've got the right product, right messaging, right kind of, yeah. um, I guess, uh, like everything's working uh, and also understand how to do it. Um, it doesn't have to be great, but at least have like a basic understanding because when you do hire someone, you're able to kind of manage them and, and work with them. And so to have that 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 kind of baseline knowledge is really important. And, yeah. and you're the best kind of, I guess, advocate for your product. And, and oftentimes engineers and, and kind of scientists think, well, you know, We don't know anything about sales and marketing. How can we sell it? And if you are a technical person, oftentimes you will get more trust, uh, from, from your consumer or from your audience, because they know that you have considered all the things and you're not kind of just pitching them, but actually telling them what it is. Um, so yeah, it is just one of those things where, you know, I know it's out of people's comfort zone sometimes to get it out there, call someone, send them an email, you know, do something around sales and marketing, but really. Um, it, it can make or break your business. And, and I highly, highly, highly recommend. Um, I, I, this is something that I, I struggled with when I started as an engineer, but I think yeah. it's one of the things you have to do is to okay. be able to learn how to do it and just do it really well.
1: I think it's, anything you do in life, really, it's, it's helpful. You're really selling yourself. You know, um, I, I interviewed uh, Liz Swigart recently, and she was talking about when you're starting a startup, the first few years, just let people know about your story, um, be vulnerable, uh, try, you don't try and be like something that you're not bigger than you are. And I've heard another podcast with a very successful founder was saying, no, you have to, it was actually talking about B2B sales, which is very difficult as I was doing that as well. No, you have to appear to be really, you know, bigger than you are very professional, which goes without saying it should be professional, but there's sort of two camps here. It's like, okay, you're you're a startup you know we sort of we we need your help we need your help to to do what we're doing this is a journey join us on the journey and the other is oh look you know we're we're not really a startup we're a business we are yeah you know, pretty successful come along and, and, and be successful with us or these other companies are with us and you should that sort of you know like what well, what what do you think works best I think this is
0: one of those things where like, it's good to really know where you actually stand. So not the kind of projection you want to make, but where you really are. Are you actually a startup or are you actually this kind of business that, that actually does have a lot of clients or does have the kind of standing. And I think knowing that is important because you don't want to tell yourself that lie, you want to know, you know, where you actually stand yourself, number one. And I think also understanding your market. And if you're solving an important problem, um, if you, you know, you, I'm, I'm sure you know about it, but for, for the audience as well, uh, you know, you should definitely check out, um, you know, like this, uh, law of diffusion of innovation, this curve where, you know, you've got the early adopters who are the people that really want your product because that's solving a, a particular problem for yeah. you. And so to be able to identify who those are, you want to work with them and they could be large corporates. They don't have to be like a small business or an individual, yeah. um, when you're doing B2B, it just obviously takes longer, but it's understanding who they are. Um, and who has a real need that you're trying to solve. I think they're oftentimes more willing to work with startups. And I've personally found being, being vulnerable and being honest about who you are and where and what stage you are, I think helps you go a long way in building trust because at the end of the day, whether you're selling to an individual consumer or, you know, B2B kind of sale, it's always about building trust and relationships because you are yeah. actually working with other people. Um, and, you know, like if you are kind of setting that relationship in the, in the wrong kind of way, I personally feel that that then, you know, it, it just doesn't go well. It's yeah. better to do it in a way where it's like, you know, being transparent yeah. think this is, yes, we've had success, but also, you know, we're not like the biggest company yet, uh, but we've got these aspirations. We can work with you, we can yeah. support you. And sometimes um, larger companies like to work with startups because they want to support them. It makes them look good. Uh, mm-hmm. But then also because they can see there's an opportunity to work with them specifically and oftentimes ask them a lot more um, specific kind of support that a large company would not provide um, sometimes because, you know, like they would have many different clients. Why would they kind of, um, you know, I guess uh, specifically support you Uh, because, you know, they don't care as much about one specific client versus like, 100 of the clients, that might have 1,000 of the clients you might have. So I think there's benefits of being a startup. There's benefits of being small and and agile and nimble. And I think it's about telling that story and being really positive about it and saying, look, we've got big aspirations and we can do a lot more for you and support you.
1: Yeah, it's good advice. And and look, when I started, I thought, no, I had to look, I had to feel bigger than I am and all that. But it's not really genuine and it doesn't feel good. Um, I think it's a much better path just to be genuine and just say, look, come along on the journey with us This is what we're trying to do this is a problem. We're trying to solve, we can help you, you know, uh, but I have to say B2B sales are really hard. It can, you know, it can take what, three months to 18 months and then, you know, things can just fall over right at the end. And it's very difficult, but I mean, I haven't done B2C, but there's a lot more in that space as well. So there's no easy way, I guess that's life, isn't it? There's no easy way to do anything but the more knowledge you have, and I think the more genuine you are, the more they relate to you as a person as well. um, I guess the more they'll come on board. So it's really good advice. All right. Well, look, I I really appreciate your time today, Usman. Um, And you're doing wonderful work out there and uh, it's really, really important work. And I hope that uh, we get lots of uh, listeners, you know, in that space, uh, listening to this and if you know somebody who is trying to get a business started or a startup in, in the migrant or refugee space, then make sure you, um, you know, you share this podcast with them, because it's going to be very helpful. And we'll put the links to Catalyzer and other uh, projects you're working on in the in the show notes. Um, yeah, and so really appreciate all your time. And uh, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thank you so much for
1: having me as well.
0: It was a real pleasure to talk to you and then kind of work out some of these ideas and, and also advice for founders. And um, for anyone who wants to get any support, even if you're not a migrant or refugee entrepreneur, feel free to reach out. Um, I'm very happy to help and support in the community. And at the very least, can kind going send you in a particular direction or give you some resources. So very happy to help, even if you're not a refugee or a migrant, but just looking to start
1: your startup here in Australia. Thanks so much, Usman.